Maple Leafs are heading to the golf course early, extending their first round curse to 18 years after dropping a 3-1 game to the Montreal Canadiens in Game 7. Hello everyone, my name is Mario Russo and joining me for Episode 17 of the Leafs Line Podcast is none other than Michael Iaboni, Ada McCullough, and Joshua Levesque. And don't you worry, Leafs fans, this will be the only Leafs talk you hear today. Uh, I believe I said enough in my episode of, uh, at least the episode that we found on the Leafs Line Podcast, my uh, take on the Maple Leafs and their Game 7, I wouldn't say collapse, but defeat. Uh, you're not going to hear any more from them, at least from me and for the sake of all our ears and listeners in the greater Toronto area. So we're going to focus on the only two Canadian teams left to kick off the show, the Montreal Canadiens and the Winnipeg Jets. The Canadians, I believe last time I checked at the time of us streaming this up three to one. Is that correct, gentlemen? They are up three to one start of the third period. Start of the third up three to one. The Habs Heading home with a 2-0 series lead over the Winnipeg Jets this morning, Montreal has been lights out in one of the most undermined teams in the National Hockey League through the first couple of rounds. And I can't believe we're saying this. I mean, uh, the fourth-place team in the North finishing 18 points out of first place, and they are they did beat the Toronto Maple Leafs like we all know. And now they are have a really stranglehold over the series, 2-0, looking to go up 3-0 with a victory here tonight. Uh, everything's going well for the Montreal Canadiens here. Everything's clicking. The young guys are producing. And what's, what I find very intriguing, and Josh, I think you can agree with me here as the Habs fan, they're scoring more on their penalty kill than they are on their power play, oh, which is extraordinary, it's... including I believe they scored a shorthanded goal today. I think it was yeah, they did. Yep, uh, well, Mia scored today. What are your thoughts PK. on that? I'd like to hear um, your thoughts as a fan on well, this kind of stuff. Both penalty kill goals have been – the exact same play where a right-handed shooter pulls goes in on a two-on-one, does a to, uh, backhand toe drag, kind of holds it back, and then gets a shot on Hellebuck. So they're kind of finding ways to score on Hellebuck pretty easily. I mean, I did a pretty decent pass with how they played in game one. But, I mean, two, penal- two short-handed goals in two different games. Uh, I mean, like, sorry, two, two short-handed goals in two games. That's pretty impressive in my opinion. And, a lot more than I was expecting. Yeah, you're, I mean, I don't, I know when I think expected either. They're just coming out of left field here with all these uh, shorthanded points and very, I, I wouldn't say horrible on the man advantage, but definitely not as significant as shorthanded, which is a very odd stat to see, especially in the postseason. When people say the Habs are a playoff team, they mean it. As this team's finished with the last tick to the postseason, like I mentioned, and is already making arrangements to head across the border to face, I think it's between, uh, is it between the Bruins and the Islanders or is it the other series? I'm uh, not sure exactly. <clears throat> I mean, we're oh, gonna. Oh no, it it's, re- it's reseeding, correct? <clears throat> yeah, it's reseeding. I'm not sure. I th- it's I've been told from like different people that's like reseeded by like whatever series it was or whatever place it's they got. Regular season standing. Okay, then it's most likely gonna yeah. be either the Abs or it's the Avs or Vegas. If well, if yeah, Montreal yeah, comes out on t- if Montreal comes out on top. Yeah, well, they're looking to go up three to nothing tonight, and uh, everything's pointing the right way for the Habs. Uh, Their amount of production has been the key to the Canadian success. Suzuki, lethal shot. They just keep in their their back pocket, the Canadians. Uh, He hasn't been too productive uh, in this series, at least for the Montreal Canadiens, but he's just there, and you know how much he can produce. Uh, And he beat just about any goaltender in this league. Tyler Toffoli, one of the interesting stories here, finding his groove following game six in round one. And Corey Perry, probably the biggest storyline for the Montreal Canadiens, and it also comes in, mixes in with the Toronto Maple Leafs, stepping up big in the postseason, being a menace in front of the goal. 
And uh, one of my favorite players on the Montreal Canadiens, and I don't like saying favorite players on our biggest rivals, but uh, Ben Sherratt carrying the workload on the defensive end. And he's a big reason why prices look so potent in goal. The depth scoring was never a problem with this team. Uh, We've always joked around with you, Josh. You know me when I talk about the Habs. They're a team full of second liners uh, and some first liners. They have so much depth and endless roads to success when it comes to goal scoring and putting the puck in the back of the net. And uh, it's been a big reason why prices look so great in uh, in net. The defense has been uh, deep. The offense has been deep. And I feel like everything is coming together at the perfect time for the Montreal Canadiens, who have won five in a row. And I, I told you this stat before, Josh. They've won five in a row for the first time since December of 2017. Take in, we were all starting high school uh, around that time, which is a ridiculous stat. And I, I didn't think it was true, and I looked it up. And indeed it is. But, hey, it's working at the right time for this team. And uh, they're really taking it to the Winnipeg Jets. And the Winnipeg Jets, on the other side of the coin, however, have finally got their taste of postseason defeat and have yet to rebound down two to nothing. We'll see what it looks like at the end of tonight and when this episode is published. But uh, what sticks out to me, at least for the lack of production uh, from the Jets, is Pierre-Luc Dubois, who is usually the one who doesn't shy away from the big stage, always finding the back of the net in the postseason uh, was Shifley out till game six with a suspension, and we're not getting into this. No, we're not going to get into the suspension, whether it's clean or dirty. It has caused a huge uproar amongst the hockey community. Uh, that's a topic for another day, and uh, we all know Mark Shifley, the type of player he is. He serve, he's going to serve it with respect. Uh, that's the type of guy he is. That's the type of person he is, and uh, he's going to hopefully be back if there is a game six in Winnipeg. Uh, Paul Stasny is also on the mend, and uh, Dylan De- DeMello out of the lineup. And this is the point of the season where guys like this need to step up. And through a pair of games, the Jets have just not gotten it at all. The one thing the Jets have done well, although, is keeping the game close. Uh, however, with dealing with the Habs at least, this style of play is just working to the advantage of the Montreal Canadiens. I think you could attest to this, Josh, and I think everyone here can attest to this. The Montreal Canadiens love playing in close hockey games, and I think that's when they are at their best, especially we got a big taste of it with the <clears> Toronto <throat> Maple Leafs. I'm going to point out Game 7 when they had a two-goal lead, and all you saw from them was dumping the puck in the off- uh, defensive zone of the Maple Leafs and just continuously doing that cycle until they final buzzer hit. And I think this is one of their game strategies, hitting the lead early and uh, going from there. And I saw this stat while watching the broadcast today on Sportsnet. The Montreal Canadiens were leading at the end of the second period. I believe it was 336 minutes uh, without trailing, which is a ridiculous number. And it just goes to show how much success and momentum comes from the Montreal Canadiens when they score first. And that's what postseason hockey is. And postseason hockey is full of momentum, which is a crazy thing and is the drug the Canadians are living off. And I'm going to turn this one over to you finally after I've talked for about five minutes straight. Uh, what are your thoughts on this series? And did we sleep too hard on the Habs heading into the postseason? We all know what they're capable of doing. We all know they're a postseason team. But did we not give them enough credit heading into the postseason? I'm going to turn this one over to you, Aiden. Uh, did we sleep too hard on the Habs? What are your thoughts on them and the production they've been getting throughout the lineup? Uh, definitely. We were definitely sleeping too hard on the Habs. Um, I think the season definitely does not say, tell the whole story for the Habs. I was kind of comparing them to a team and I wanted to look up what the records were from last season as well. And that was the Dallas stars from last season. If you remember, they went all the way to the finals last year and it's actually eerie how similar their regular seasons were this season. End of the season, losing six games straight. Montreal ended losing five. Their differential was only about nine goals or something throughout the season. And obviously, uh, last year was a full season. But Montreal was actually on pace for 
believe it was just four less points than what Dallas had last year too. So obviously both of them had a really similar season, but the playoffs was where I really connected the dots with these two teams. If you look at uh, Dallas from last year, they really did a really good job of not scoring that many goals, getting goal t- good goaltending from Anton Hudobin, clogging up the neutral zone and just hitting their way to the finals and wearing down teams. And that's pretty much exactly what Montreal is doing right now. They're just wearing down teams, using the body, clogging up the neutral zone, not allowing any space for the star players of the Winnipeg Jets to score any goals. Um, and a big similarity between both of these teams, Corey Perry was on. I mean, it's no secret why this guy is successful in the postseason. And it makes you wonder why the Leafs and Kyle Dubas did not sign him in October. He was coming. He wanted to come home, take the discount, and play for his home hometown team, his childhood team. And Kyle Dubas shut the door. And you know, it's a Leafs move when you go the other way and pay another guy who's done nothing in the postseason more money to play here. But uh, that's a can of beans and a can of worms to open for another day. But you're absolutely right when comparing these two teams, the Dallas Stars and the Montreal Canadiens, the Stars of last year. And for Josh, your sake, uh, I'd be pretty happy with this comparison. You saw the Dallas Stars go all the way to the Stanley Cup final. And I don't know how far the series went. I didn't pay too much attention to that final. But six games. So taking the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, lethal offensive threat uh, and defensive threat, just a complete team who we'll discuss later. Taking that team to six games is definitely an accomplishment, but let's just hope for your sake, Josh, with this Montreal Canadiens team, they don't have a rebound season uh, like the Dallas Stars did, who did finish out of the picture of the postseason. But the Dallas Stars, very similar in the way the Montreal Canadiens play. Uh, The big players for the Stars, I believe last year, were Tyler Sagan, uh, Jamie Benn, Radulov, and kind of a sneaky guy in there, uh, Heiskanen, I believe Mm. that's, that's the guy. Uh, he did a he had a very big playoff and it kind of turned over with their rookies as well. Uh, Jason Robertson, I believe his name is Nick Robertson's brother, has also had a decent postseason last year, a breakout postseason, as well as transitioning it to the big stage in this regular season. Who was up for I believe the Calder this year? Uh, he is besides, a he is a finalist mm-hmm. for the Calder. Uh, I believe Nijelkovic is in there and Kaprizov. I think Kaprizov might take the cake for that one, mm-hmm. but off of his extraordinary fifty point season. But, uh, yeah, great comparison there, Aiden. I'm going to turn this one over to you, Iboni. Uh, did we sleep too much on this Montreal Canadiens team after defeating the Maple Leafs in seven games, the top-seeded Maple Leafs, I'll add, and taking the uh, Jets, taking full advantage of the Jets and going up 2 to nothing, possibly 3 to nothing after tonight? I think we definitely slept on them a little bit. Um, I just think that uh, when the Leafs were playing them, they got a little bit uh, overwhelmed by how well the Habs were pro- progressing as the series went along. And they just kept rolling with it, and we just couldn't keep up. We weren't expecting it, and uh, that was the downfall for us. And then Montreal kept it going, and now they're playing against the Jets, and uh, they're keeping it rolling, and the Jets can't keep up. They didn't expect it. Uh, They're definitely sleeping on them. And nobody understands the power of Carey Price in the playoffs. Uh, I do have to tip my cap. This guy is incredible after I thought this guy was literally going to be a bust and a waste of $10.5 million, which I still think. It's a little bit too much to pay for Carey Price, but uh, that is another topic for another day. Um, definitely worth his money as of right now in the postseason, making his money's worth. Uh, he's going to carry the Montreal Canadiens through the North Division, which is something that I never thought I'd end up saying, but uh, definitely sleeping on the Montreal Canadiens here, and uh, it's it's the downfall of most Canadian teams. 
Yeah, and uh, Carey Price definitely living up to that $10 million price tag that they signed him for, uh, I think, a couple years ago. And, uh, yeah, he's definitely played up to that role. And momentum is another thing that you were focusing on. It is a crazy thing in the postseason, what a fourth-place seed, a fourth seed could do with such a thing. And we see it all the time in sports, the uh, underdog teams grabbing onto this thing called momentum and these streaks and really running away with it. And we're seeing it right now. They're winners of five straight, about to make it six hopefully for the Habs point of view tonight. And before I transition onto the American side of things, I want to ask you this quick question. I'm going to turn this one over to you, Josh, as well. Does this loss, or if the Montreal Canadiens, rather, uh, if they go through and beat the Winnipeg Jets, does that make the Maple Leafs look better or worse? I, 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 this is a sort of a debate that's been uh, amongst the media in Toronto, uh, maybe for fun debate since the Maple Leafs can't do anything about it. But what do you think, Josh? Do you think this, if the Montreal Canadiens go through, does it make the least loss worse or better? Because they did lose to the team and now the eventual king of the North. I mean, personally, I don't think it makes them look any better or worse. At the end of the day, they still lost and there's nothing they can do about it now. I mean, <clears throat> don't get me wrong. Montreal has been playing great, but it doesn't personally, I don't, I don't think it's acceptable seeing a Leaf team go down 3-1. They knew how to win without their captain. However, they just, I guess, kind of slowed down and let the Habs catch up and gave them too much momentum to the point where they they completely took over. Um, <clears throat> personally, I got I to gotta keep in mind that Montreal has been really good lately. Like the last five games, they've been playing absolutely f like spectacular. Um but what you were what we were talking about earlier about are they being slept on? I think they did get slept on a little too hard, but they had reason to. Uh, they were not looking super good, and at the same time, we weren't sure how Price was going to be, especially after that AHL game, after that practice. Everybody was kind of thinking, "What's going on with him?" But I got to I got to give props to not only obviously Price is our biggest guy right now, but you got to give props to players like Dano, who's shut down that the nose line, who completely shut down that Austin Matthews and Marner line, and hats off to Corey Perry as well. Like you said, Aiden, this this guy's been showing showing why he's a uh, why he should be on in the lineup, and their power their penalty kill has been great. Uh, there's really nothing I can complain about with how Montreal's playing right now. So, yeah. Yeah, and it's looking like everything's coming together, like I said. Uh, they're getting every, looks like everyone has a role on that team. You see Corey Perry, his role, it's also kind of changing. His role was just to get in front and uh, make a big distraction for the opposing goaltender. Now he's actually scoring goals. So that's obviously a nice boost for Habs fans and the Montreal Canadiens, and a big reason why they're uh, paving their way to a 3 nothing. Uh, series lead over the Winnipeg Jets. You look at guys like Carey Price obviously stepping up, and this is a thing that we're going to have to focus on when it comes to talking about the sleeping on the Montreal Canadiens. That's all we had to work with here. They were 18 points out of that first seed. Uh, I don't know what, what that means too much. They were down 7-3 to three in the season series for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Everything was pointing the wrong way for the Montreal Canadiens, and they were even limping out of the season, not having the greatest of finishes down the final stretch of games. And you also mentioned uh, Carey Price having a tough start in Laval, against the Toronto Marlies. Uh, there's just so many factors that show that the Toronto Maple Leafs could put the series to bed and in the, uh, in, in the back of all minds and finally beat the curse. And it just didn't happen. I don't think, I personally, I don't think we swept, slept on the Habs. I think we just used the data that we had available. And I'm going to turn this question over to you, Aiden, the same one I asked Josh before. 
Uh, does this loss to the Montreal Canadiens make it any better or worse if the Habs end up do advancing and beating the Winnipeg Jets in three or four games or so? I mean, you could say it makes it a little better considering how well Montreal has been playing. But if you look at the series versus the Leafs, um, the way Montreal is playing right now is not how they're playing the entire time against the Leafs. The Leafs really just put themselves in a position to lose because in game five and game six, before they got to the game seven, both those games go to overtime. Uh, if they finish one of those games, they go into the next round, but they can't. Like, like Josh said, hats off to Carey Price. He did amazing. Deneau played amazing. Gallagher, that goal in game seven ended up being almost the game-winning goal until Nylander scored late. But still, the Leafs, the Habs, sorry, they didn't really put themselves in a position to win other than in game seven. The Leafs just made bad plays in both overtimes, which led to losses. So I don't think you can really see this as a win, even if Montreal goes really deep into the playoffs. And like you said, it just adds a bunch more salt to the wound. I personally believe it makes it even worse, uh, losing to the division rival at first and now seeing them uh, sit atop the North Division or potentially sitting atop the North Division. I'm not going to put the cart before the horse here. But uh, it's like you said, the Maple Leafs, and I'm not going to focus on them too much because I think we're all uh, dead tired of hearing Leaf talk. I think we're going to save that for more of the offseason and our offseason portion of the show. But they just shot themselves in the foot after, I want to say, that when they were up three to one, they kept shooting themselves in the foot. You saw the defensive end turnovers, Dermot, uh, Sandine, Galchenyuk even. Uh, there's just so many plays that you can credit to their loss in the series and a horrible game seven. But I'm going to keep it at that for the Leafs talk. I'm not even going to think of turning this one over to you because I already know your thoughts. And uh, before we transition to the American stage here, I just want to shout out the, the national team, the Canadian boys, beating the Finland uh, international team. I believe the score was three to two in overtime. Uh, Connor Brown and oh I'm oh, I'm gonna what's his name? Uh, they scored the game winner. What was his name? Nick, Comtois? Paul. Nick, Nick, Nick Paul. Paul. Was it Nick Paul and Comtois who combined for the game winner? Yeah. No, it was Nick Paul Nick, and Cal- Nick. Uh, Connor Comtois scored, Brown. The, scored the first goal. Okay, so I mean, if you're a Sense fan listening here, if you're a Sense fan listening, uh, lots of great news in the IHF for your team and a bright future for the Ottawa Senators and Connor Brown, just making the Leafs trade look even more worse as the Leafs are already eliminated. Uh, from the postseason. He's one of the leading point getters in the tournament, 16 points in 10 games, two goals, 14 assists, has been a lethal force both in the regular season for the Ottawa Senators and now in the summertime for his national team. So credit for the uh, Team Canada for winning gold. And we were talking about this before we began the show in horrible opening fashion, losing to Latvia to boot and them taking their first win. (laughs) It's crazy to see what a team can do. And this is definitely a story that they're going to tell forever. I saw a picture just before we hopped on the podcast here, uh, Roberto Luongo, the uh, fellow Italian here, hoisting the cup for uh, Team Canada. What a great sight to see. But what were your guys' thoughts on Team Canada before we just transition to the American side of the postseason pitcher? Team Canada, again, 3-2 victory over Finland, capturing gold. Uh, what were your thoughts on the tournament and how slow it got for the Team Canada? I mean, uh, <laughs> no, I didn't have much to say because after – seen the loss Latvia I didn't want to watch any of it so I just didn't and when I saw them step up I was like hold on a second why are they actually good now like I was completely confused and then they they somehow make it through they beat a top seed Russia they beat a 
solid American team and then come out on top against Finland, who are three very tough customers. And to, to, add, to add to insult, uh, Montreal, I mean, uh, Canada and the States, Canada and Russia, those are both rivals. Like, they've never liked each other. And I think it, I think it looks great on Canada for how they've played and how they kind of stepped up. Players like players like Connor Brown and Andrew Mangiapane putting outstanding, outstanding numbers that uh, no, I don't think anybody was expecting. So I'm really happy with it, but yeah, I was when, not expecting it. Yeah, when I look back uh, a couple years from now at this uh, gold medal, and if it's the only gold medal that they win in the next couple of years, the only thing I'm going to remember is that they lost to Team Latvia <laughs> and on home soil for Latvia to boot. And I think Aiden, would it be fair or appropriate if I were to throw Latvia in a bit of a hot take? You feeling that today? Some Latvia um, hot takes? I don't know how you'd fit Latvia into a hot take that has to do with ice hockey, considering we only named one player before the show <laughs> who's from Latvia. So, and who was that player? Elvis Merzlikens. The stud from Latvia, the hometown, the homegrown talent out of the Latvia. Oh, I can't believe Canada lost to that team. It's going to be something we can tell all our children and that the Team Canada rebound and did win. So it all worked out well. And uh, thankfully, it's the right Maple Leaf that's coming up on top with Team Canada winning gold today. But we're going to move on to the American stage of things, the postseason. We're deep in it right now in the midst of it. The Colorado Avalanche and the Vegas Golden Knights. The Golden Knights were kicked to the side of the road and left to rot in games once in game one, seven, one demolition at the hands of the well-rested Colorado Avalanche. Game one was a massive slap in the face for Vegas, a side known for playing strong defensive contests and losing their starter uh, in round one. They went for Robin Leonard in that game and he, uh, he got his lunch fed to him, especially from the stars on the uh, Colorado Avalanche. And they also lost one of their physical pieces uh, in Ryan Reeves, who earned himself a two game suspension that he is, uh, it has been served already. He's going to be starting in about uh, two minutes, actually, as of right now. Uh, for the his side, the Vegas Golden Knights. And he's looking to help his side feed off of a wild home ice victory in Game 3. I don't know if you guys saw any bits and pieces of that game, but, man, was Vegas rocking. I'm very interested to see if the Golden Knights can capitalize off of a huge win in Game 3, as well as how the Avalanche star players can react in the Game 4 after they were, I wouldn't say shut out, because a couple of them got some points in that defeat, but not as, uh, as the amount of production that we're used to seeing from this Colorado Avalanche team. And personally, I'm going to... This is not really a hot take here. I think a lot of people can agree with me. I personally have the Colorado Avalanche favorite to taking home the Stanley Cup this year. I think they're just way too dangerous uh, up front. And the defensive side of things, they can obviously get it done. And Grubauer, as long as he stays consistent and hot and steady in goal, and he's not letting in those soft ones like he did in uh, Game 3, I think the Colorado Avalanche are on the right track to bringing home a victory to Denver. And uh, I think it's a great sight to see for the Colorado Avalanche, who have waited quite a while to see anything happen in Colorado, especially for Nathan McKinnon, one of my favorite players in the league, one of the most underrated players in the National Hockey League, and just a postseason monster. And it's going to be interesting how he reacts in tonight's contest. And the Avalanche, however, are looking for, they look very lethal up front, like I mentioned, and one of the biggest positives to pull from their depth, and I think you can agree with me, Aiden, you're always pretty positive on finding the uh, bottom of the barrel and productive guys in teams' lineups. The emergence of Brandon Saad out of all the players who has five goals through seven games this postseason. A great compliment to the production for that from that top line. Uh, and a young Kill Makar as well, one of my favorite defensemen in the league, just continues to grow offensively at the young age, owning nine points to his name through seven games of play, including 
a pair of goals. And the Avs are not a team to shy away from offense and heavily rely on outscoring opponents, no matter how keen the opposition is defensively. I think we're seeing that firsthand in this Vegas Golden Knights series where Vegas is a very good team, both on the offensive side, but they do treasure themselves and uh, rely on the defensive game and shutting down teams, especially with either Marc-Andre Fleury or Robin Leonard tending the goal. And uh, it's going to be interesting just on the goaltender topic to see how Grubauer responds. He's going to have to look sharp in tonight's contest after allowing a pair of soft ones to the Golden Knights offense in Friday's 3-2 to Vite that sent Sin City into hysterics. Now I'm going to turn this one over to you guys. What's going to have to be the Ab's secret weapon to lay the dagger into Vegas's hopes for a cup? And what will the Golden Knights have to do to the best pre- to the best the President's Trophy winner? So it's a bit of a two-parter question. I'm going to turn this one over to you, Josh, to start. Uh, what's going to have to happen for the Avs to beat the Col- uh, Colorado Avalanche? For the Avs to beat the Vegas Golden Knights? And what's Vegas what's Vegas going to have to show to uh, stay alive in this series after? ironically being favored as the underdogs against the president's trophy winners. Well, uh, in terms of the Avs, I think they need to keep producing, which I don't think they'll have an issue with, but they need to ensure that they keep a tight gap defensively. I think the best example of them kind of letting up was after that lead in game three and just letting two, like you said, two soft ones in the span of what, a minute and a half, two minutes. That's mm-hmm. uh, from a from a President's Trophy team. You can't see that. Grubauer has to be on top of his game as well. He, he can't. I, I didn't. I didn't see the goals, but at the same time, y- you expect a lot from a goalie who had fantastic. I'd say relatively great numbers this year. Um, I mean, it's a great series so far. Both teams are really physical, and they both have. But they both have suit like much different plays of like play styles. Uh, obviously. Like I said before, I think last week, the Avalanche are a, a very offensive-heavy team, while the Golden Knights are a very defensive-heavy team. And I think it's really important for the Vegas Golden Knights to to stay alive, at least. They need to keep scoring while playing that defense, playing that good defense, and they showed that last game. But I, th- I, think, if, I think if the Avalanche play on top of their game and keep showing why they were the President's Trophy winner, no, no, they will not have an issue blowing through the through the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah, and you mentioned being at 100%, uh, being almost not, I wouldn't say perfect, but really taking it to the Vegas Golden Knights. And that's the one thing that's tricky, both in hockey that postseason, as well as across all the other sports. You have to be near perfect. We saw this with the Tampa Bay Lightning last year. Uh, you have to be near perfect to make a Stanley Cup run, and obviously by the end of it, hoisting the trophy. And the Vegas Golden Knights are going to obviously test the Colorado Avalanche. It's no debate there. And it's also no debate that the Colorado Avalanche have a better offensive style of play than the Vegas Golden Knights, the better names, the more sexier names. But uh, the Vegas Golden Knights are going to have to play a defensive game and really take it in these close duels to the Colorado Avalanche. I'm going to turn this one over to you, Aiden. Uh, what do you think is going to have to be the secret, secret for the Colorado Avalanche? Colorado Avalanche to best the Vegas Golden Knights? And what is going to have to be the key for Vegas to hold off of getting eliminated by this uh, favorable Colorado Avalanche squad? Well, I'll start with Vegas. Uh, in their game, what was it, last night, I believe it was? Yep. Game three. Uh, I didn't watch the whole game. I just saw snippets of the game. But their first period was amazing. They were out shooting the Avalanche, I believe it was 14-3 but they just really weren't able to capitalize on any of their chances until late in the game when they did come back. But that's something you like to see a comeback from your team, but you also like to be seeing capitalize, capitalizing on all your chances. So, Cause I think that game definitely could have been a blowout for Vegas. 
if it wasn't for Grubauer being sharp in the first two periods. But other than that, I think game four tonight is going to be another game in Vegas. So if they use their fans and help them to use their momentum, they can definitely come out with a win here tonight. Uh, if they use that loud stadium of theirs and uh, they're really passionate fans, one of the earliest or one of the youngest, but uh, most passionate fan bases I think we've seen in a while. But for Colorado, definitely going to have to wake up earlier in the game. Uh, we saw it with the Leafs that they were starting not on time every game and they lost in seven. So if we see that on occurring, occurring theme for the Colorado Avalanche, it will definitely not look good for them. But you definitely just have to be more defensively responsible in your own end. I saw a pl- few plays last night where uh, guys were falling on the ice, making bad passes, and they weren't really picking up their goalie whatsoever. So that definitely needs to be cleaned up. But other than that, I think Colorado, they just need to keep doing what they're doing, getting scoring from all areas of the ice, from secondary scoring to scoring from the blue line with guys like Kale McCard, Devin Tays, Sam Girard. Uh, obviously, those guys are good defensively, but also can chip in from time to time. I believe Nazem Kadri should be coming back soon, if I'm not mistaken. You got eight games, right? I believe I believe it's at eight. Actually, I... he should be gone the whole series because he got oh, yeah. in the fourth mm-hmm. game. He should. Well, anyways, uh, still they need more secondary scoring. You talked about Brandon Saad. He's definitely been a pleasant surprise for their team this year. But other than that, you don't want to just solely rely on the top line. Even though we've talked about how deadly they are, you also want to have scoring from all lengths of your team. Yeah, and you mentioned the depth scoring uh, before you ended it off there. Uh, it's a huge key, as we all know. We're seeing it with firsthand with the Montreal Canadiens, how much depth, uh, depth scoring can uh, rejuvenate your team and really get you far in the postseason. Uh, and if it's only depth scoring like we saw with the Toronto Maple Leafs, it won't get you too far at all, no matter the opponent. Uh, but if you've got the offensive talent like the Colorado Avalanche do and the production that you're getting from there, I don't see why they couldn't make a run, big run uh, and punch their ticket to the conference final. But you did mention as well for the Vegas Golden Knights that they have to capitalize. And capitalization is the story of the postseason. If you're not going to capitalize on your chances, there's no point in you being there. You're going to see yourself on the losing end of the side or losing end of things night in, night out. And if you're going 14 shots with no goals to show and you're out shooting the team 14 to 3, like you mentioned, I believe it was you or Josh, one of the two. And uh, if you're going that streak uh, for that long, there's no reason why you should be uh, thinking at all of the conference final or anything ahead of that, you need to capitalize if you're the Vegas Golden Knights and you have to capitalize early. And I think that's going to deflate the Colorado Avalanche, the Colorado Avalanche <clears throat> on the road, and especially for the Vegas in their home crowd and get the crowd and the fans rocking early. And before I turn it over to uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning Carolina series, I just want to ask all you guys this sort of fun question, but uh, what do you guys think's the funnest barn to play out of? The craziest fans, the most passionate fans, and one stadium or arena that you'd like to go visit one day uh, to catch a hockey game. I'm going to start with you, Iboni. If there was anywhere around the league that you would want to go watch a hockey game with these crazy fans, I'm going to say playoff game because it just makes it even more wilder, uh, where would it be? Uh, personally, I would really, really want to go to the Nashville Predators arena. Uh, just that atmosphere in Smashville would just be incredible. Uh, I think that their fans are insane and they smash cars. Like it, it, who would not want to see that? Like they, for their playoff games, they smash cars and it would just be so electric to just hear those fans. Cause every time they score a goal in their own arena, it is explosive. Uh, Bridgestone arena is just 
an incredible place. It's full of yellow. Um, everyone is always a Nashville fan. I don't think I've ever seen um, a fan that was not a Nashville Predator in the stands. Uh, it's full of just pure Preds fans that will chant, they'll live, die, and breathe their franchise. Uh, it just seems like such an electric building, and I'd love to just be a part of that. And I remember you mentioned Bridgestone, Bridgestone Arena, the where the Nashville Predators play out of, obviously. Uh, Josh, I remember a couple years ago you showed me a video of uh, when they went on their Stanley – not their Stanley Cup run, but their playoff run in 2017 uh, and the fans when they had to host Pittsburgh uh, and how they sort of heckled – I believe who was in net at that time? I think it was Murray. Murray. It was Yeah, Murray. and they were just – blaring his name across the stadium and well, after, I would every, not goal, wanna, after, after every, every single goal and i would not want to be oh. in matt murray's shoes what he did it's all your fault it's all yeah your fault. that's when they it's said murray murray like yeah and then they said it's all your fault because like he he blew up a game i think ever led like a really bad goal well they well they did that for every goalie that's what they do every, yeah every series yeah. they go like like let's just say they and score it, the first goal they go thank thanks murray uh, he sh- they, uh, thanks Murray. Can we have that? That's one. Thanks Murray. Can we have another? He shoots. He scores. You suck, Murray. And then they they do that a few times. They go, you suck. Oh man, it's uh, it's it's, a, it's so funny. It's a, it's a vibe down in Bridgestone, down in Nashville. Uh, you go to a honky tonk before the game, and you watch a watch a nice hockey game in Nashville, a playoff game with all these guys smashing cars, like you mentioned, Iboni, and uh, hopefully see on the other side of things. Uh, that the Nashville Predators come out with a win. And if they don't, hey, you go smash some more cars. And uh, that's the story of Nashville. I'm going to turn this one over to you, Josh. Where would you uh, want to go? If you could choose anywhere as a playoff destination to watch a contest, uh, which stadium would it be and uh, why? Well, personally, I got three in specific that I really like. Uh, Obviously, I'm a Habs fan. I would love to see a building with over 23,000 people just erupt after a goal. Like it, it would be so cool, but at the same time, I, I'd like to, I'd like to go to another Canadian rink, which would be uh, Winnipeg with where they got the whiteout where every, everyone's in white and everybody just goes crazy at the same time, obviously. But I think one that tops every, every other one, I think Mario, you're really going to like this one is Nassau Coliseum. Mm-hmm. Oh my! my favorite like, bond. It is the only reason is because it's so small. Like you say, like you say, Mario, it's so small, it's so tight that it just it it sounds so much louder than it really is, and it just it must pump up a team and just be so cool to be a part of. Yeah, the noise carries, the message carries, and the fans sort of carry the team across the finish line in these sort of contests. I'm going to turn this one over to you, Aiden, as well. Uh, if you were to go, and I know you've been up to a couple stadiums around the uh, National Hockey League, uh, if you were to go to any playoff atmosphere uh, arena, which one would it be and why? Well, like Josh, I'm going to have to name a few. I got two in mind. The first one's going to have to be TD Garden. Uh, we saw game one, the Bruins and the Islanders. When uh, Pasternak scored the hat trick, that arena just lit up. Uh, for whatever reason, they are just extremely passionate fans. Obviously, they've had Boston has had their fair share of success over the last decade, but maybe not as crazy as the Nashville Predators fans. But still, nonetheless, those those guys are definitely diehard for their team, and that building is definitely electric when Boston is winning. Uh, the other team, I got, the other arena, I'm gonna have to go with is nationwide arena the columbus blue jackets arena 
Uh, I, for one, would just really like to see when they fire the cannon. Oh, I'm sure that'd definitely be a great experience to see at a hockey game. And obviously, those fans are really passionate down there, too. Yeah, and if I were to take, uh, uh, obviously, all great answers here. The fans, I love hockey fans, especially apart from any other sport, just because they're so loud and the, the team just definitely feeds off of their energy. For me, it's going to be a very unlikely spot and probably not going to be seeing this one for quite a while. But uh, the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, the only reason why I do say Detroit is because their fans are extremely passionate. Uh, we saw, obviously, with the Cup dynasty that they had in the 90s. Uh, that's when a lot of their fans now came into play. And just the ceremonies that they have and the traditions, throwing a catfish on the ice is definitely something I want to see in my life. And uh, I think I'm going to be the one to throw the catfish on the ice. But, I mean, that's just my take. I also like, like you mentioned, Josh, uh, Nassau Coliseum. I have a buddy of mine that's uh, been there numerous times, and he just always tells me how loud it is. It is a barn. It's made of wood. And uh, the New York Islanders are going to be moving to a new stadium in the upcoming years. It's going to be a sad departure from the old barn in Nassau. But, man, it is a great time to be in. So I hear. And Detroit is also, I've been there a bunch of times, not the greatest of cities, but I think the party will be rocking down in the Red Wings arena. But uh, we're going to transition here, finally get back on topic to playoff hockey. We're going to go to the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Carolina Hurricanes series, the reigning Stanley Cup champs, pushing the Hurricanes to the brink of elimination after a gold-filled game four in Tampa. Eight goals were scored in the second frame of yesterday's contest, including a bolt trio of power play marks. I don't care what any of you guys say or what anyone says, Tampa Bay has the most lethal man advantage in all of hockey right now, especially in this postseason. They're getting it done on that man advantage, and they're making you pay uh, for taking penalties, holding the league's best power play percentage through the first two rounds of the postseason. This is an aspect of the game that many teams struggle with in the postseason with the man advantage, usually being hot and cold. We see it with the Toronto Maple Leafs being absolutely cold, and we're now seeing with the Tampa Bay Lightning being absolutely hot and most of the thing consistent. Uh, the Boston Bruins also comes to mind. They have a hot and cold power play. You see it some nights, you see it some other nights, uh, and it's night and day with the when comparing these two sort of man advantages and styles of play. And why wouldn't they be so potent with the guys like Stamkos, Point, Kucherov, and so many more on that man advantage? And Tampa is consistent, but most of all lethal with Stamkos and Kucherov carrying the weight, combining for five power play points in yesterday's six-four victory. And Peter Mrazek was the, given the keys to the car in this series after sitting most of the first round uh, because I guess Brindamar wanted to ride the hot hand and De Delchevich, I think that's his name. Iboni pronounces it perfectly. Nijelkovic. All right. I'm so sorry if he's listening. I strongly doubt he is. But uh, the veteran goaltender for uh, Peter Mrazic was facing now a 3-1 to one deficit in the series. However, he has been... One of the outlining reasons why Carolina is still in, I think you could agree with me here, Iboni, you follow the Hurricanes pretty consistently, uh, that the reason why the Canes aren't booking tee times yet, they're limiting the Bulls to just six goals through the first three outings, including a 35-save overtime victory on the road in Game 3. The problem for Carolina and Iboni, and I think all of you guys can agree with me here, is the production from the star players. Despite earning four points in yesterday's Bonanza, obviously it was a gold-filled game, uh, both teams combining for 10 goals on the night. Scoring just a single goal through each of the series' two games has left Rob Brindamore out and is looking to play a massive role if the Canes do get potentially eliminated. And they're sort of in the same boat as the Maple Leafs, oddly enough, and especially at the hands of the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I'm going to ask you guys, I'm going to start with you, Iboni. Uh, the Canes are in a massive hole facing elimination right now. I think that's safe to say 
what will have to change for them in order to sniff out a Game 7 win? I think the obvious answer here, getting more production from the big guys, but if you guys could sort of come up with any other answer, that would be it for the Munch- uh, Montreal Canadiens. The Carolina Hurricanes to sniff out a seventh <laughs> game against the reigning Stanley Cup champion. So, Iboni, what do you think is going to have to step up for Carolina? Uh, buddy. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll just move on here, and I'll, I'll turn this one over to you, Aiden. I think I've only having some technical issues there. I just saw that he just left the chat. Uh, what do you think is going to have to be the secret weapon for the Carolina Hurricanes, and who's going to have to step up in order to see some uh, Game 7 uh, historics come out of the uh, the series? What do you think is going to have to be the thing that's going to have to hold Carolina together? Well, you just talked about it a little bit. You said uh, star players for the Carolina Hurricanes, and definitely they haven't been doing uh, as much as we would have expected after seeing their pretty dominant uh, season where they finished almost in the uh, President's Trophy, almost got the President's Trophy, but got beat up by the Colorado Avalanche late in the season. But they currently only have one player above a point per game. That's Sebastian Ajo. And if you're going up against... Uh, Tampa Bay, you just talked about how deadly their power play is and how deadly their overall offense is. You're definitely going to have to see a lot more scoring, not only from the top guys, but from the depth pieces as well. Um, If Colorado is going to win this series, they're definitely going to have to just stop picking, maybe stop taking penalties altogether. I think there's no way to stop Tampa's uh, power play at the moment. They're just scoring on every chance they have, so... Colorado's just going to have to limit their penalties or either crack down on the penalty kill and just start getting more scoring from their depth players and their stars. Yeah, and I love the the name change you made from the Carolina Hurricanes to the Colorado Avalanche. I mean, uh, both teams here, great teams. But uh, Carolina, you mentioned it in your point there. Uh, stop taking penalties, man. Like You're facing elimination now. This is no time to feed into the, other, the opposition's uh, strengths. And I think that's one of the key and underlying factors that uh, not many people have been looking at. Uh, their power play for the Tampa Bay Lightnings have been disgusting, to say the least. Carolina has just been feeding off of that, uh, or not feeding off of that, but giving into that energy and is a big reason why they're facing a three-to-one hole. Iboni, I turn this one over to you before. You must have had some yes. difficulties. I, I, I took out my AirPods, and uh, it, <laughs> apparently kicked, it apparently kicked you from the call, even though I can hear all of you perfectly. <laughs> oh, no. All righty. Okay. So, you love technology. Uh, yeah, it's the greatest. Um, with um, some big names out of uh, Nino Niederreiter and Vincent Trocek, uh, they're going to need some production from some of their depth players. Uh, I, I believe that Jesper Fast, Morgan Geeky, and Martin Natchez need to be – more points going, uh, along with some bigger names of uh, Tavor Teravainen and Andrei Svetsnikov. They need to increase their point production a little bit more to keep up with Sebastian Ajo, who's carrying the load at the moment. And uh, for God's sakes, they need production from a defenseman that is not named Dougie Hamilton. Um, Brett Pesci and Jacob Slavin have been some decent scorers, but uh, they definitely need some more production from those two uh, if they're going to have any type of success. Uh, as- along with the penalty that they run into as well. Um, I believe that most of them uh, were quite controversial. I've watched almost all of their games. Uh, and a lot of puck over the glass, I've noticed. And a lot of um, some questionable ones where it was kind of a soft penalty. And I just haven't seen the power play going 
uh, both sides. I kind of see the refs being a little bit one-sided, which is questionable. And it's uh, making Rod Brindamore lose more of his hair. Uh, it definitely key aspect is maintaining their consistent goaltending, uh, excluding last game because last game was uh, a cakewalk. It was like this crazy game uh, that will probably be a once-in-a-series game. Uh, but they definitely need to continue their consistent goaltending. Um, I do like Morazic staying in this series. However, if you would like to switch it up to Nadeljevic, there is no wrong answer here. They're both very, very solid goaltenders. Yeah, and you kind of took the words out of my mouth. I was going to ask you that same question. Who's starting game uh, game five for the Carolina Hurricanes facing elimination? And if you say sticking to Morazic's the deal, I got to have to believe it. You've watched this team long enough. And you did mention something that I think we're going to have to ban from the show soon. Uh, Pucker with the glass penalties. I think Leafs fans have had enough of hearing those three words. Uh, it's it's a nightmare <laughs> living on repeat and living in the minds of Leaf fans rent-free. Uh, but, yeah, the Carolina have to be disciplined, like Aiden, you mentioned as well, on the, man, on, on the penalty kill as well as taking the penalties. You don't have to be in that spot in the first place. And that's a big reason why they're trailing the series 3-1. to one. And I, Boney, I just love how calm you are when talking about Carolina in a three-to-one hole. If this was the Leafs, uh, I don't think you'd even be on this podcast, to be honest with you. I think you'd be taking a mental break, a nice walk around uh, yep. our community here and uh, really emptying your head. But Carolina doesn't seem to hurt you. So I think if I were to give you advice, I'm not a therapist here, but uh, maybe go the Carolina route for next season. How does that sound? Uh, I'm, not, I'm not caving in. I'm, I, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Uh, the temptation's there, but it's just not going to happen. Yeah, when people say it's going to be better next year, I feel like punching them in the in the face. It's it's <laughs> really not. every year. Yeah, it's 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 a reoccurring theme in Leafland, and <laughs> it's, uh, it's uh, no, it literally got better. It got better, <laughs> and it's still nothing. <laughs> oh, I can't believe on the show named after this team that we have to laugh and joke around with them. Such a shame <laughs> that they had to lose to Montreal in game seven. But hey, say la vie, and that's the life of a Leafs fan, right? But uh, I'm going to just turn this one over to you, Josh, before we head over to the Boston and the Islander series, both a big series with the Barnes erupting and the home ice advantage being very prevalent. But what do you think Carolina has to get done in order to see a game seven against the Tampa Bay Lightning? Well, I mean, right now, I think Carolina's starting to look a little bit vulnerable. I mean, obviously, it's no, it's no, it's no uh, secret. Lightning have been spectacular. Kucherov has been producing so much. And their power play is just unbe- unstoppable. So, I mean, despite yesterday in the second period, I think – the Lightning, I think the defense by both the Lightning and the Carolina Hurricanes have been pretty solid. Um, the rest of it has been relatively low-scoring games. But I'm a little bit disappointed with the Canes because I think I thought they were going to really <clears throat> give it to the Lightning. But I, I don't think <clears throat> the Canes can beat the Lightning in a scoring game, in a scoring match of who can score more goals. But if they can tighten up their defense – and kind of just play play really good defensively. They they'll definitely have a good chance at at winning at least one or two games. But as of right now, in my opinion, it's looking if if they don't step up like like you said, they're big guys. And maybe and like Iboni said, if their defensemen don't start stepping up besides Dougie Hamilton, they're gonna have some issues with the with the Lightning in these future games. So. I don't think I don't think it's looking too great for the Hurricanes, but I also do think that they still have some life in them, 
and it's never over until it's over. Yeah, and I did script this one down as being a, a sort of a series that's going to go the distance. I think it was fair to say, off of these two powerhouse teams going at it, uh, one of the highly anticipated matchups that we could have seen from the start of the season. But uh, it's it's just a it's, it blows my mind how Carolina just came up really flat against the Tampa Bay Lightning, and just goes to show to you how the different level of play between these two teams and where Tampa Bay is at, and Carolina is still at, and still has to work towards. And a team that wants to really work towards being a team like the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I, Boney, before we just end off, I know you're a barely bit a really big avid Carolina Hurricanes fan. I just want to ask you. I'm not too sure. I don't got the numbers in front of me of how much they've, uh, how much un, or lack of success that they've had in the postseason in the last couple of years. But when is the window closing for the Carolina Hurricanes with their production from all these? They're very in Teravine and Aho, uh, Shvetsnikov, like uh, what's how many years? Because we look at it all the time with the Toronto Maple Leafs, how much uh, lack of success they've had in years prior. But Carolina, they've sort of been in the same boat, not as bad as the curse with the first round, but they haven't gone really far in any series uh, in the postseason. So, what are your thoughts on that? And if if they do get eliminated here, what do you think is going to be the uh, future looking like for Carolina? Uh, I don't see too many people walking from this Carolina Hurricanes team. I think it's going to main. Uh, remain consistent. Uh, they do have rookies in Martin Natchez. Um, Andre Svesnikov is still young. Teravainen is still young. Sorry, Aho is still young. I think Teravainen is uh, a mediocre age, like in the 25 area. Uh, it will, however, uh, change dramatically if Dougie Hamilton decides to walk. Uh, a big part of their defensive core uh, will be possibly leaving their team, which will um, be significant for them as he is their number one defenseman. And uh, clearly an offensive defenseman who can lead the team on the power play, uh, lead the team in the locker room, and definitely be that point production guy uh, that every team really needs, uh, at least one point production defenseman. Uh, It's definitely going to be crucial if they happen to lose him, but I think that the core is going to remain there, and they do have some depth pieces coming. Uh, I see a potentially big offseason coming. They're keeping both of their goaltenders, their expansion draft, um, they're going to protect uh, Peter Morazic and Alex Nedeljevic is um, exempt from it because he is still in his ELC. Uh, therefore, they're not going to be losing that many players. They're probably going to end up losing like a depth defenseman, maybe a depth forward, nothing too major. Um, yeah, so I see a big off season for them. And the playoff history, I think that they can possibly uh, string something along here, make something worthwhile. Uh, next season, though, it's a whole new season. We don't know what's going to happen. It's back to normal divisions. Uh, I think that this division is the hardest division to play in, uh, the one that they're in right now. I believe it's the West. I believe it's the West. Um, yeah, but they're back to the normal divisions, which is a positive for Carolina. And uh, looking forward to next season because it's going to be some positive change for Carolina. Yeah, and the league uh, sort of threw Carolina to the Wolves and really fed them to these tough composition uh, uh, opposition. We mentioned they're facing Tampa Bay right now, Florida, all these top teams, one of the top teams in the league, uh, respectfully. So it's going to be a bit of an ease next year in their division. But uh, I don't know. I think Carolina, when you're looking at them, and you mentioned Dougie Hamilton, he's going to be a big blow if he does walk. And it's going to be a big offseason for a lot of teams. Uh, it's going to be, I think they're in the same boat as the Maple Leafs in the Zach Hyman situation. You can't have this guy walk. He's a very big part to your team, and it's going to make a huge difference if he ends up leaving. So Dougie Hamilton, definitely uh, numero uno on the offseason uh, acquisitions for the Carolina Hurricanes, someone they must keep to keep this group intact. And I think they're going to go the same route as Tampa Bay did 
in uh, after the sweeping of the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets, they kept their core together and they went right back at it the next year and ended up winning a Stanley Cup. Uh, this is something that uh, we're going to also debate uh, later in the show as well with the Maple Leafs, where they go in the offseason, their core and uh, such, and what's going to happen with them. I think Carolina's in the same boat. And I think Carolina's going to turn into a team like the Boston Bruins. And why do I say that? Not in playing style, but specifically in their how many times they're going to punch their ticket into the postseason. You always see Boston heading to the postseason, into the playoff picture, and always always winning series. Never really getting Stanley Cup results from it, but still always giving themselves a chance. And I think Carolina, in the next five or seven years, are going to be in the exact same group as the Boston Bruins and always getting into the playoffs and trying to make some noise there. And eventually, it's going to pay off. Let the Tampa Bay Lightning show for that. But we're going to move on here to the series between the New York Islanders and the Boston Bruins. We expected a close one, and boy, have these two teams delivered. The series is knotted up at two apiece and shifting over to a jam-packed TD Garden. Aiden, you mentioned it as well. Those fans are absolutely relentless. Uh, As all hockey fans could have asked for in a battle between which fans can be louder. Nassau Coliseum was rocking through the weekend in Long Island, and the gardens were shaking earlier in the week. So saying home ice advantage is key would be an understatement to say the least, heading into a pivotal Game five. The Islanders are coming off a four to one victory over the Boston Bruins in a game and a game with Matt Barzell potting home the game's winner uh, midway through the third. Uh, a, pair, a pair of empty net goals made this game look out of reach and like a blowout for the Boston Bruins. But the fishermen sent the series to Boston with the Bruins on their heels. Now, the Islanders goaltending heading into the series was expected. And we mentioned this earlier in the show in past episodes was expected to be a key factor in determining which way the series would go. And veteran Semyon Varlamov rose to this occasion. After sitting the entirety of round one, Barry Trotz riding the hot hand in Sorokin through that series, the Owls bench boss turned to Russian veteran to help pave the way towards earning a seat at the conference finals. Varlamov has allowed just six goals through three games of play, including back-to-back outings, allowing just a single mark to the prolific Bruins offense with that perfection line in Pashnak, Bergeron, and Marchand. Uh, Pashnak did tally his first career hat trick mm-hmm postseason in game one and is now living in a nightmare after missing a wide open goal that I think all of us saw in our uh, social feeds later today or earlier today uh, that more of likely would have sealed the deal for the Bruins in game four. Uh, home I split a massive role in the series but which team will be able to string together some success on the road and who will be the ringleader for their squad? I'm going to turn this one over to you Aiden. Who do you think is going to come out on top in the road uh, in the next couple of games and who's going to have to be a big contributor to this? Well, like you said, um, the atmosphere of both arenas are definitely playing a large factor into the early games, not just in game four, but uh, throughout the series so far, as we saw, David Pasternak maybe might have been fueling the pressure a little bit there. Rifles one off the post where he's an empty net. Uh, I'm probably going to say he's never going to miss that. Maybe again in his career, as we know, he's one of the best goal scorers in the league, but that just goes to show you how much of an impact the fans can really make. Uh, overall, I think I'm still going to have to go with Boston winning this series just based on their offensive firepower that we already talked about before. But the Islanders definitely have done a great job to this point in their both home ice games of shutting down the uh, big-headed, the three-headed monster of David Pasternak, Brad Marchand, and Patrice Bergeron as only Pasternak is above a point per game right now with 11 points in nine games, which is kind of surprising because we've seen Marchand and Bergeron all over the highlight reels. But nonetheless, still, the Islanders' defense has really played 
a large factor into this series now, laying the body out, showing that they're giving it all just to win this series, just to win a game, just to win a period. Yeah, and definitely what you want to see coming out of the Islanders uh, as a Long Island fan and seeing this team go far in the postseason. The defense is definitely going to play a huge role for them. And shutting down this big line that the Boston Bruins have is extremely key if you want any success in the playoffs. Uh, we've seen it in years prior where the Boston Bruins have been eliminated. All these guys go pointless or at least close to that. And it's a big factor of what these top guys can do. Not to say that the Boston Bruins have a lack of depth, but uh, you usually see when they get eliminated that their depth isn't producing as much and their goal scoring guys, their main three isn't having the best of uh, contests in the series. So I think that's going to be still a continuous thing and key for the Islanders to eliminate the uh, Boston Bruins now on the road in game four. Uh, I'm going to turn this one over to you quickly. What's going to have to be the secret for uh, these teams on the road Advantage, I think we can all be saying here, is a key contributor to the victory and who comes out on top. But who's going to have to deliver for either the Islanders or the Bruins to see who comes out on top in the series? Uh, I still think the Bruins are going to take this one. Uh, I had predicted earlier, I think I said it in six games. Uh, still can happen. Uh, I think that some key producers, obviously you need that three-headed monster line to keep producing, uh, even if they maintain how they're producing right now, which is still pretty good. I know Bergeron's just under a point per game, and I'm not really too sure how Marshan's doing. I know he's pretty close, up there, pretty close up there as well. Yeah, eight points. Um, they definitely need some more production, I think, from uh, Craig Smith, uh, Nick Ritchie. Curtis Lazar can even get a couple points in there. And uh, Jake DeBrusque would be uh, an essential one as well. Uh, as for the uh, New York Islanders, they got to keep their defense up. Uh, it's been working pretty solidly so far. Their goaltending has been pretty good. Uh, Anthony Bavillier needs to keep his scoring touch up because uh, that is really driving the Islanders, as well as uh, Kyle Palmieri as well getting in there. And a couple points here and there from their depth scorer, uh, Jean-Gabriel Pajot, uh, as well as their stars. Like, Matt Barzal has definitely been incredible this series. Uh, and I think I feel like he will continue to be incredible. And that's where Boston's defense also needs to come into attack. Um, guys like Charlie McAvoy has been shut down. Uh, Mike Riley, maybe a little bit more offensive production from him uh, would be key. Uh, not a whole lot because he's not notably an offensive defenseman, but uh, he is known to get a couple points here and there to help his team out. Uh, goaltending has been solid both sides. Uh, I think if this series continues on the way that it's going, uh, I think that it's going to be a tight series. It's going to be game seven, uh, but I do think Boston's going to overtake it just because their firepower and their grit is just like it's a little bit better than – the Islanders and I just think it's going to break through in one of these games yeah and I was keeping an eye on the series very closely it's one of the uh one of my favorite series to watch between these two teams I'm a, if anything if I wasn't a Leafs fan I'd probably be an Islanders fan I just love the atmosphere there the fans are crazy and I like the team as well and how it's structured and how Barry Trotz uh runs this team and our fellow GM Lou Lamorello how he runs it as well but uh you mentioned the goaltending and if I, I was looking and listening on the uh broadcast uh in between these games, I think it was Kelly Rudy on the Sportsnet broadcast bench and Tuka Rask, and he was just showing a couple of highlights of him. And Elliot Freeman also chimed in on this. Tuka Rask has really looked a little different in this postseason, and I think he looks really fatigued. If you go look and closely on all the starts, and you might not see this in the naked eye, but if you look really closely at what he's been doing in net after every save, he gets up very, very slowly. And he has battled injury uh, in the past. I believe he had a growing injury or a lower body injury. It definitely was lower body this year that he's been battling with constantly. And it's the reason why we've seen so many goaltenders uh, rep a Boston Bruins uniform. But I think that's a close and a intimidating factor to see from the Bruins that 
Tuka Rask is not 100%. And I don't think, I don't think that's going to be uh, something that's going to get them by in this round. I don't think 100% Tuka Rask. You need Tuka Rask to be at almost 110%, especially at the way he's been playing. He hasn't been too fantastic. But I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a bit of Halak in this series if it gets to a desperation thing. Or maybe even, uh, uh, I think his name's Swayman. I think that's more mm -hmm. of a really bottom of the barrel, bottom of the pocket thing that you're scraping for. But yeah, that's the only thing I've noticed from the goaltending. Valarmov has been terrific, but uh, Tuka Rask has just looked not horrible, but I think he's battling with something, and I don't think he wants to come out of the lineup. And that's the type of goal he is, that's the type of player he is. And I mean, if you were in the same situation in his shoes, why would you want to get pulled either? And uh, we're going to just turn this one over to our next segment of the show, who's have been having the greatest impact through two rounds of play in the postseason. Now, all these teams are still in it. I'm going to turn this one over to you before I give any of my answers. Aiden, uh, could you just give me a list of your impact players and who's been performing best for their squads and has been playing a huge role uh, for their team's success? Uh, sure. So for the first guy, uh, you touched on him a little bit before. Uh, he hasn't really done much yet, but I think it's only a matter of time before he really makes his impact felt in the Jets lineup, and that is Pierre-Luc Dubois. You know, he really showed last postseason that he can be a playoff performer and he really was not only the fuel for the Blue Jackets in their Game 3 comeback, if you, if you remember from last season, but uh, he was really the biggest offensive threat for them in that series. So uh, we definitely know that he hasn't been completely comfortable in Winnipeg this season, but if he can bring back some of that scoring touch from last year, I think he can definitely make a large impact, especially in the absence of Mark Shifley. The next guy I've got is Jesperi Kokanyemi. I mean, he's the literal definition of a playoff performer. Uh, if you look at him in the season versus in the playoffs, you can just see how much more confident he is once the games really matter. I mean, just looking at his hands to the way he's shooting, just his overall body expression, he really just elevates his play when his team needs it. And that has definitely been shown through these playoffs as he has four goals in eight games after being a healthy scratch in game one. I think most of those goals were actually against the Leafs. So, okay, you guys still there? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, something just kind of happened here. But uh, I'm not too sure with the players you chose because I was sort of inviting Josh back to the <laughs> thing here. So it was a whole tactical thing. But uh, I assume out of you, out of all good choices out of you, uh, we saw it all the time, all year round with the fantasy. Aspect. Who were your players by chance? I uh, Pierre Luc Dubois and Jesperi Kokanyemi. Ah, was Pierre Luc Dubois one of them for like a lack of impact? Uh no, it was pretty much potential impact just based off what we saw last year. Yeah, well, he's gonna have to really step it up for the Winnipeg Jets. I don't think we can. I don't think that's debatable here. He's had a rough postseason. He's had also a rough transition to the Canadian stage uh, since that trade was made with Patrick Lanyon. Both. Players have struggled for the respective clubs throughout the year, but Pierre-Luc Dubois now in the postseason with his Jets squad. And I believe, I'm not too sure if the game ended, it most likely did. Are the Canadians up 3-0 three to, three to nothing yet? They, they won. They won 5-1. 5 to one. 1, a dominant victory for the Montreal Canadiens. And Pierre-Luc Dubois, him and his side facing elimination for the first time in the postseason. He's going to have to step it up. And Iboni, I'm going to turn this one over to you. Uh, what were your impact players listed as for through the first two rounds of the postseason? Uh, for my number one guy, uh, you got to go with him. It's uh, Anthony Bovillier. Uh, this guy came out of nowhere. He had a really uh, pretty rough um, regular season. Uh, actually, I just lied. He had a pretty decent regular season, uh, 15 goals, 13 assists for 28 points. Uh, but he really brought it in the uh, playoffs with 10 
uh, in 10 games, he has four goals and nine points uh, with the New York Islanders. And it's a, kind of a surprise because no one really expected a second line, third line player to come out and start scoring on all cylinders like this. Uh, definitely a crucial player for um, the New York Islanders team. And he's continuing his scoring, getting consistent scoring. And uh, he's bumped up to the second line, getting some first line minutes sometimes. Uh, he's on one of the power plays. Uh, really one of the reasons as to why the New York Islanders are getting their goals. Um, they have been getting production from other players, yes. Uh, but Anthony Bavillier has definitely been a very star player for them in the playoffs. He looks to continue going forward as uh, Boston and the New York, New York Islanders are tied at twos in the series. And uh, he's looking to get to a point per game because he's just barely shy of it. Uh, as for my second player, I only had one player, but I'm going to go with my second player. I'm just going to pick him right on the spot. Brandon Sad, as you mentioned earlier, uh, he just got his sixth goal of the playoffs tonight. And he's been looking absolutely six. sixth goal. I know sixth goal tonight. And it's been such a great playoffs for him. Uh, really came out of nowhere, like Mario said way earlier. Um, but this guy's like a third line player and he's playing like a, a top line player here. He's got five goals in seven games. So he didn't start the play. Uh, well, yes, he did. He did start the playoffs, but he was starting on the third line. I think he got bumped up to second line minutes now for a little bit. Uh, he's got five goals, uh, not an assist not an assist yet. Um, actually scratched that. It says five on the website, but now he's got a sixth. So he's got six and eight games uh, looking to continue his pace and continue the depth scoring of the Colorado Avalanche uh, throughout the playoffs as they continue their dominance. Uh, and hopefully they will lead themselves to the Stanley Cup final and hopefully even further for the uh, Colorado's sake. Yeah, and uh, Brandon Sad has been a force to reckon with in Colorado, uh, making third-line money, playing third-line minutes, uh, earning first-time uh, first-line points, and having more points than the entire Leafs' core through seven games of playoff <laughs> hockey. So uh, that's uh, Brandon Sod for you, and that's the Toronto Maple Leafs for you. So if you're a new listener here, uh, don't believe too much on Brandon Sod, but kind of listen to the Toronto Maple Leafs and just goes to show how in a rut they are as of right now. And that's a story for another day. But uh, to me, I obviously two great choices there. I bony to me, the two big impact players that have to really, that not really have to, but have to continue stepping up for their team. Ben Sherratt for the Montreal Canadiens. Now I touched upon him a bit earlier in the show when we were talking about the Canadians and their playoffs uh, through nine games of play has zero points. Uh, he actually might've changed that right now. I haven't been paying too close attention to the game, but uh, he had, does average 25 minutes of ice time. I, that I can tell you each night and leads the Canadians in block shots in the postseason. Don't believe that has changed in tonight's contest as well. Uh, his ability to get the puck out of his own net through hit of his own end through various styles of play has worked wonders uh, and is a key reason why the Habs are where they are right now. Uh, he, I believe he's carried the defensive workload for the Montreal Canadiens and also a big, uh, a big contributor to help carry price who's looked spectacular in goal for Montreal through nine games. Now 10 games of postseason play. The only area of concern for Sherrod that I see is the thing that makes him so noticeable, his heavy workload that may possibly lead to fatigue or injury, whichever does come first. Unfortunately for him, he is an older gentleman. He has been around the league. He has been around the block and he knows how the playoffs hat must be played. And uh, he's just playing the game that he has to, he knows he's a very defensive structured guy and it's paying off. For the Montreal Canadiens, and if he were to go out, most likely uh, Romanov would likely slide to the lineup. But the defensive roster, 
the defensive responsibility, sorry, between the two teams or the te- these two players is just night and day. You obviously want Sherrod in that lineup, and he is definitely a big reason, an underlining reason why Montreal Canadiens are having so much success in the postseason. And the other guy, uh, this is more of an obvious answer, saying the obvious, Nikita Kucherov, through 10 games of played this season in the postseason, that is also his only 10 games of the season, which is extremely crazy from an athletic perspective, leading the way in the league, 17 points, and leading the league in power play points and assists. What Kucherov has done in the postseason after missing the entirety of the regular season never ceases to amaze me, at least, and just goes to show the type of athlete he is and how bad he wants yet another Stanley Cup on his trophy case. I like to compare him to a more dynamic Ovechkin on the power play. And before you guys start going crazy, I'm just going to tell you why. Ovi sits in his office and beats goalies uh, from the exact same spot of the ice when the goalies know where it's coming from and when it's coming, which is a potent thing to have as an athlete, and that's the reason why he's making such big money. Uh, however, Kucherov moves around the offensive zone and can beat goaltenders with just about any shot from just about any angle in the offensive zone, which is something that Ovi, he does well, but not really too well on the power plays. He just sits on that left or right side. He has always been known as a stat packer for Kucherov throughout the regular season, but through this postseason, uh, this postseason run has scored a massive amount of goals for the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning and is quite possibly their biggest contribute- contributor as of late. So it's going to be interesting to see how he continues to stretch. I'm really hoping, just as a fan perspective, that he stays healthy on this, what's looking to be a far run for the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. And I'm going to be interested to see how he stacks up against the bigger competition. Uh, maybe it would be the Avalanche. Maybe it's going to be the Golden Knights. Or maybe it's going to be some big streaky players in the Boston New York Islanders series. But that something that we will see and only time will tell. And uh, now moving on here, we're going to get into our hot take segment of the show. Uh, obviously, last week I mentioned we're going to change it up a bit. Uh, only two or three guys are going to mention their hot takes just to save a bit of time and to keep everything fresh and maybe not repeating a couple hot takes here. Aiden, I'm going to start with you. Uh, I think I believe you have a hot take prepared for me. Is that correct? Yeah. You do? All right. Well, please uh, take it away. All right. So my hot take is I think we see Tampa versus Colorado in the Stanley Cup final this year. So looking at how each team has played throughout the first round and parts of the second round, I got to go with these two teams in the final. Uh, If we look at Tampa, currently up 3-1 against the Canes, we already said. And the Canes were actually supposed to be one of the favorites to win this cup, to win the cup this year. But Tampa has just been showing that there's been too much for them. So going forward, unless Najelkovic plays much better or Mrazek, whoever's starting. Uh, and the team cracks down on the penalty kill, I think the Bolts' offensive power will be too much for them. In the third round, they'll most likely play the Bruins with the uh, reseeding for the third round. And I think, again, this is a matchup which the Lightning are definitely capable of winning. And if they do, they'll be making it to the Stanley Cup final for the second consecutive year. Uh, for the Colorado Avalanche, they're currently up 2-1 against the Golden Knights, like we said. Currently tied 1-1, I believe, against the Avalanche. Um, but I definitely think they'll win. They'll finish this series in either six or seven games because the Avalanche have just such a deep lineup and great skill both up front and on the back end. In the third round, I think the Avs will be probably playing the Montreal Canadiens, especially after the commanding 3-0 series lead they just took uh, previously a few minutes ago. And I definitely think this is a series which we could see going to six games or more just based on how Montreal's been playing. I mean, you really can't count them out of any matchup right now because we've done that before and they've just 
completely proven us wrong. But I think Colorado, again, will come out on top. Not 100% about that, but I think they will. Yeah, and I'd, I'd have to agree with you on that. It's uh, maybe more of the mildest hot takes that we've heard on this show, but uh, the stats don't lie. That style of uh, that style that's going to happen. Colorado meeting the Tampa Bay Lightning in the finals. Uh, definitely a matchup I tune in to see. I love both these teams. I love the offensive talent they bring and just the well-roundedness of their lineup up and down. Uh, it's something that hockey fans alike love to see. And uh, Colorado, it's not going to be the easiest trip to get there uh, when you compare them to Tampa Bay Lightning, who if you're going to pick on the Boston Bruins next round, I think that's easy fish for them to scoop up. Uh, you could kind of say the same thing about the Colorado Avalanche, but one thing we've learned in this postseason, you can never count Montreal out. They're always a team that's going to bring it to you night in, night out, and their style of play differs from all these other teams that we're seeing as of right now. So definitely not as hot of the, as uh, spicy as the hot take. Iboni, do you have a hot take for me as well? I believe you. Do. I do, I do, and right. I'm going to try to enter it really, um, in a in a really interesting way. Uh, are the Columbus Blue Jackets back in the playoffs? Uh, I think that the Carolina Hurricanes are going to pull uh, a unseeking event, and they're going to come back from a three-one series lead and take the victory and move on to the next round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. It's going to be a tough task. Uh, it's definitely going to be a long hard-fought series. Uh, I do, however, think Carolina has the manpower to overpower Tampa Bay Lightning, and this goes back to tie in to my previous hot take from about, like, I want to say maybe eight weeks ago, where I stated that the Carolina Hurricanes will win the Cup. I still strongly believe this. I think they can contest against uh, a team like um, Colorado Avalanche uh, if they do happen to get past uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning, of course. Uh, but the Stanley Cup champion, uh, former Stanley Cup champions, will fall uh, in seven games to the Carolina Hurricanes uh, if they keep up their consistent goaltending, like I mentioned earlier. Uh, I didn't want to talk too much about it earlier, but uh, I talked a little bit more than I probably should have. Uh, but they definitely need their stars to show up just a little bit more, a little bit more defensive help, and a little bit more depth help. But they're so close; they have their game, they're playing their game. They're so close. The thing that I've been noticing about this series is that Tampa is playing on their game. And I'm noticing that Carolina is not quite playing on their game. They're a little bit off. And if they can refine those little tiny things, they can. I think they can easily take this. Like Maybe, maybe not easily because it obviously is a 3-1 series lead. Uh, I do think that they can bite back and uh, take a couple games here and then bring it to seven. And who knows from there? Let's see if they can come back and take it in seven. Because uh, if they refine those little tiny tweaks, uh, it'll be enough to push them over the edge. Because all these games have been pretty close so far, um, whether it's high scoring, low scoring. They've been relatively close between like one and two goals apart. Um, I think that this series is definitely going to be closer than a lot, pe- a lot more people will think uh, since Tampa Bay is up three to one. Uh, but Carolina definitely has the power to do so. And uh, this is a spicy meatball. So let me know what you think. I'm going to let you know what I think. Aiden, take notes on these hot takes because this guy can bring it night in, night out uh, when it comes to giving bold predictions. And uh, while you were saying that, it kind of struck my mind that at the end of the year, when the playoffs are said and done and we reign and award our Stanley Cup champion in the National Hockey League, uh, we're also going to do a show just dedicated to hot takes. And we're going to see, we're going to, I'm going to go through every single episode. We're going to count every single oh uh, hot take and we're going to see who was the most correct, or at least I wouldn't say correct. Cause a lot of these don't pan out, but who was the closest for something actually becoming true. And the one thing I can think of is 
Aiden's uh, hot take that earned him his beautiful nickname, the wizard when he, uh, the same the next day. I, I can't I can't like you can't script this. The next day, I didn't even hear this at all through the hockey community. He's like, Yeah, Jack Eichel is probably gonna get traded at some point. I and he didn't get news. he didn't get traded, but this guy was the first person I've ever heard break the news. He beat Elliot Friedman. I think we should start calling him the new Elliot Friedman or the insider, one of the two. But uh Aiden, man, that's one you have. You've got your gold stars hung up right there. And uh, I'm gonna rewind and by that time we'll see who has the most gold stars and maybe we'll do yeah, whoever has the most closest hot takes you guys want to host one of you guys want to host the uh, host the uh show if you uh have more hot takes than uh, anyone else yeah that's I'm what i thought sure. maybe not, not not the most appetizing uh, reward here i would i would just like to say um when we're going through mine it's going to be over 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 it's going to be nothing <laughs> zeros across you the always board. made hot ones though like really really <laughs> yeah, hot I made the ones. Spicy that was your objective ones. I made the spicy ones because then yeah, it makes them look good like, when they come true. The only reason they they were hot takes because they were really specific. So a lot of things had to happen in order for it to be correct. See, the thing is, mine is broad, but mine is just so broad that uh, it's just not going to happen. Hey, you hit on the Freddie but, Anderson one. I was not expecting that. I did. That. I was close. He played one game. I was close. He did play one game. I said he wasn't going to play at all. You got yeah, a, I like half right. You you, th- yeah. you throw the Hail Marys, Aiden kind of throws the more precise, uh, the dimes, but that just leak out of the wide receiver's hands. So uh, yeah. two different styles of hot takes. And I've only just, for your, to your full credit, I'm not too sure if you know this, but uh, I'll just let you know right now. Uh, a lot of people that have watched the show or listened to the show rather uh, have said a lot of good things about your hot takes uh, for them being extremely intriguing. I think that's just a whole new compliment to your part. So uh, we are reaching the tail end of the show and, of uh, Leafs Line podcast, the NHL starting to wrap up. We're in the second round already, but uh, I just want to also thank you just for making it so entertaining for us to not just analyze, but also listen from a fan's perspective. So you're always in here giving us the best uh, best of takes. So I also want to thank you on that and uh, commend you on that as well. But I'm going to get into mine. I don't usually make too many hot takes. This is a Leafs Line podcast, so I'm going to just end this show off on the Leafs note. Now the Toronto Maple Leafs, as we all know, and I'm not going to beat the dead horse here. They are in a tough spot in the off season. Kyle Dubas has his work cut out for him. Uh, extremely on the UFA side of things on the Seattle expansion draft and also maintaining the guys in his core that he has now. And there's been a lot of rumors and I'm not going to ask for your guys' opinions on this uh, just yet on who's going to stand, who's going to go. And especially when it comes to a guy with the name of Mitch Marner, after having a prolific uh, seven game series against the Montreal Canadiens, uh, Fans wanting his head, not wanting to see his jersey, burning his jersey uh, in Toronto. And relatively so. I mean, I wouldn't do that to any guy in the world. But when you do something like that and are 0 for 18 in goals per playoff games, that is something that you should have on you and you earn. But uh, there's this big talk about trading Mitch Marner, uh, sending him for a bunch of uh, high-end players. Maybe some. I've even heard some weird sources sending Mitch Marner somewhere for prospects. Now that's obviously not what the Leafs want. They're not in that kind of stage and that kind of position as a friend. But uh, my hot take is these four core guys stay together. I think the Leafs are going to go the same route as the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning did when they got swept by the uh, Colorado, Colorado Avalanche, the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, not, not yet the Colorado Avalanche, but the Columbus Blue Jackets, when they got swept, uh, from that series, they just went up, they went the next year, stuck with their core, didn't make too many big changes, uh, but they stuck with their big guns and it paid off. I think the Maple Leafs are going to go the same way. I'm not saying changes won't be made, 
But I'm saying that these four guys and Mitch Marner, I think he's a safe leaf for now. The money, he's not living up to it too well in the playoffs, but the postseason or the season rather, the place that gets you and punches your ticket to the postseason is, I think, the one thing that he has valuable over anything else. And I don't think any trade can top that. So uh, that's my hot take. The uh, the core four stay together, and uh, the only thing that I'm really concerned about with this four core staying together is where Zach Hyman's going to go. They're going to have to move some guys around and get some money flowing into for Zach Hyman to skate. He's not staying on a hometown discount. I, I don't know if he's even from Toronto, to be honest with you. But uh, so. mm-hmm. but uh, regardless of where he's from, he's not taking a discount, especially for the way he's played and the, his impact he's had in the playoffs uh, through the seven games and even be uh, prior in other playoff series against the Bruins and the Blue Jackets. He's a great player, and he deserves the money. And if he walks and gets bigger money, that's it's nothing I can really say. I think he's option A for Kyle Dubas to keep. And uh, I think the core four is going to have to stick together, but we might see an unlikely player uh, leave Toronto. And who's that player going to be? Well, that's a discussion for another day. And for another day, we shall see. That's the end of the Leafs Line podcast episode. Where are we at? 17 today. Uh, Yeah, it's been a fun ride. Uh, I also want to thank all the listeners for tuning in. Uh, It's just a great show to do. Um, You could also catch me personally on my other podcast, on the uh, Round Trip podcast. We're in episode four next Saturday. Uh, tune in if you'd like, if you're a baseball supporter, it's supposed to be a good one. I'm totally open for having a couple of guests on there and just talking baseball, but this is the Leafs line podcast. This is my baby. This is my favorite thing to do. Uh, I'd like to thank Aiden for joining us. I've only you the same Josh couldn't really stick around the full length. He had some technical difficulties, but, uh, again, say la vie, that's life. That's technology. But anyways, thank you everyone for tuning in and have a great evening. Cheers.